Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture today is Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless his days shall be one hundred and twenty years." Now the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore children to them, those who were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then God saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time, and Noah walked with God. By the time we reach Genesis chapter 6, a new stage has been reached in wickedness. Many years have gone by from the time of Cain until the time of Noah. Ungodly conditions have been steadily growing. Moses uses verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6 as an illustration of what he tells us in verse 5. Then God saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth. The magnitude of sin is seen in the appalling fact that even fallen angels have cohabited with the daughters of men. The difficulty in understanding verse 2 of our text is the little phrase, the sons of God. This phrase can mean one of two things. It either means the godly line of Seth who disobeyed God by intermarrying with ungodly wives, or it means fallen angels who inhabited the bodies of men and intermarried with beautiful women of the ungodly line of Cain. Although this phrase, the sons of God, might possibly mean the godly line of Seth, a verse in Jude 6 points to the other interpretation. Jude 6 says that the angels left their proper habitation and went after strange flesh, even as those in Sodom and Gomorrah indulged in homosexuality. Therefore, just as people sought the strange flesh of homosexuality, so the fallen angels sought the strange flesh of fornication with beautiful women. 
More important than the exact detail of verse 2 is its indication that man is beyond self-help. Whether the line of Seth have betrayed their calling or whether demonic powers have gained a stronghold, the point is that wickedness has greatly increased and will lead to the judgment of God upon sin. Therefore, in verse 3, the Lord says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. What this means is that men have proved themselves, by disobeying God and indulging the flesh, to be incapable of being ruled by the Spirit of God and led back to the divine goal of union with Him. Therefore His days shall be 120 years. In other words, not that man's lifespan would be shortened to 120 years, because man continued to live long lifespans in Genesis chapters 9, 10, and 11, but that God gave man 120 years to practice repentance before the onslaught of the flood. Now notice verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. There is a devastating force in the words every, only, and continually. This caused one scholar to say a more emphatic statement of the wickedness of the human heart is hardly conceivable. Now we might ask, isn't it strange that by the time of Noah only one man is left in the godly line? Not really, my dear friends. By the time of Abraham, most of the world had thrown away true knowledge of God. By the time of the Old Testament prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, most of those living had turned away from the living God. Likewise, by the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, a majority of the Jewish people had turned away from God, and only a minority believed upon the Lord Jesus as the Messiah. Here is the principle to remember. Man's heart is in continual rebellion against God, and the number of the wicked only increases over time. At the same time, the number of the believing remnant remains small and faithful. Think of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 18, verse 8. When the Son of Man comes at his second coming, will he find faith upon the earth? Will wickedness upon the earth grow to such an extent that there will only be a small believing remnant when Jesus returns? Given the unprecedented current worldwide deception and the inner condition of man, Alexander McLaren comments, Unbelief and superstition are closely allied. Religion is so vital a necessity that if the true form of it be cast aside, some false form will be eagerly seized in order to fill the aching void. If the darkness is not dispersed by the beloved face of our Lord Jesus, our busy imagination will fill it with a crowd of horrible deceptions. 
Verse 7 says, And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We need to understand God repenting and God grieving, not as him changing his mind concerning his nature or his purpose, but of God being sorry over man's sin. God is hurt by the atrocity of our sins against him. God must have things right. God lives in glorious holiness at all times. Sin disorders and separates man from union and communion with God. Therefore, God is grieved at this terrible calamity. Now we learn several important lessons from the life of Noah, lessons that each of us need to emulate as we seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. First, Noah had godly character. Noah stands alone in his generation as a single tall green tree among a devastated landscape of many fallen pines. Verse 9 describes his character from the outside inward. He was a righteous man, meaning that he fulfilled all the requirements of the law. He feared God and walked in an upright, honest, and virtuous manner of life. It was because of Noah's faith in God that he daily walked with him. And because he daily walked with him, he obeyed God and prepared the ark according to God's instruction. Faith leads to daily walking, which leads to daily obedience, which leads to a life of good works. Noah was also a blameless man, meaning that he was opposed to all that is deceitful and pretended. His character was complete and whole before God. His virtue shines through the widespread corruption of his times. This word perfect does not mean absolute sinless perfection, for no man achieves sinless perfection until heaven. But what the word does mean is complete, sound, whole, unimpaired, and sincere in following after the truth. In other words, Noah lived as perfect as a follower of God is able to live on this earth. Let's remember the only other person in Genesis chapters 1 to 11 who was said to walk with God was Enoch in chapter 5. Now here in chapter 6, Noah is likewise said to walk with God and to be righteous and blameless among his generation. If you remember from our last study, the words of William Law. He said, We have not that perfection which our present state of grace makes us capable of because we do not so much as intend to have it. The reason why you do not see real mortification or self-denial, no profound humility, no heavenly affection, no true contempt of the world, no sincere zeal or eminent piety in the lives of Christians is because they do not so much as intend to be exact and exemplary in these virtues. Second, Noah stood firmly against the world around him. 
One commentator says, Though the whole world rushes to its destruction, we are instructed what we ought to do. If Noah could bear up under the corruptions of the whole world and against such constant and vehement assaults of iniquity, no excuse is left for us unless we pursue a right course through innumerable obstacles of vice. Noah fixed his thoughts on God, and he walked faithfully before him just as Enoch had done before him. The Apostle Peter also tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Think of the wonderful opportunities Noah had to preach righteousness in his generation. No doubt he hired many craftsmen to help him build the ark. Think of all the carpenters and blacksmiths that were required to frame the ark and fill each seam with pitch. And as they are building, year after year, Noah preaches, We must repent of all our sin and turn to God, for he is bringing a great flood upon the earth. Third, Noah obeyed God despite ridicule and opposition. The work of building the ark was enormous. It was costly, labor-intensive, and dangerous. It seemed foolish and ridiculous to everyone that a man would build an enormous ark in his backyard. Noah would have been the laughingstock of all his neighbors. Come, listen to this crazy old man. He's building a massive boat and says that we're all going to die in a great flood unless we repent and join him in the boat. Ha ha ha! What a foolish old man! Remember that it had never rained before this time, and Noah was predicting a worldwide flood of water as God's judgment upon the earth. Fourth, Noah was patient and persevering. Using the length of an ancient royal cubit, we know that the ark must have been no less than 510 feet long, 85 feet wide, and 51 feet high. How many years would it take to build a boat that large? Remember, there were no cranes, chainsaws, power equipment, or bulldozers to help Noah in building a boat three-quarters the size of the Titanic. Scholars estimate that it took Noah between 100 and 120 years to complete the ark. Imagine the discipline and patience and perseverance it took to complete a project of that magnitude. Incredible! You are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Let's continue our lesson. Today, modern unbelievers and scoffers still present unfounded arguments against the ark and the flood to try to disprove the book of Genesis. 
One atheist writes, There was no global flood as described in the book of Genesis, and in any event, a wooden boat large enough to contain all the species of animals described would have been and still would be impossible to build for structural reasons, no matter how much time there was. Now, this statement is an example of weak and ineffectual debate using emotional reasoning. Emotional reasoning is putting forth unwarranted assertions without factual basis. This is what people do when they have no facts to support their assertions. So they simply make the emotional statement, such a boat would be impossible to build. Actually, God's instructions to Noah concerning the ark specified a superior design for the ark, the ultimate lifeboat, which perfectly balanced strength, comfort, and stability. The ark needed to be wide enough to stay afloat in a sea of churning waves, yet long enough to contain the cubic feet necessary to house all the animals. Experiments conducted on length-to-width ratios confirmed that the ark was perfectly constructed to accomplish its purpose. What keeps some people from accepting the historicity of Noah and the flood? It is simply because they continue to believe that the Bible is a myth. One writer says, We now know in the light of science that the flood is a figure of God's wrath rather than an actual demonstration of God's wrath that took place in real history. Therefore, we cannot believe in a universal flood. People who make such statements do so because they give more weight to so-called experts than to God's words in the Bible. In addition to valuable character lessons learned from Noah, the flood account in these chapters of Genesis teach rich theological lessons. The first is that God washes away the pollution of sin with water. It was with water that God cleansed the earth in Noah's day. Even so, the water of baptism symbolizes our cleansing from sin and entrance into the new life in Christ. Secondly, the ark prefigures the Christian church. Noah prefigures the Lord Jesus Christ, and the wood of the ark prefigures the wood of the cross, which carries us to deliverance from sin. The church in the Old Testament was very small. At the time of Noah, only eight persons. They were uninfluential, despised, ridiculed, and oppressed. They were in danger of falling away from the true faith because of the great immorality and apostasy of the times. Yet God never leaves his people unprotected or unprovided for. Psalm 34:15 says, The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Thirdly, God's instructions were believingly received and unquestioningly obeyed. When God speaks, we must hear and obey. There must be no questioning and no rebelling. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Fourth, 
Genesis 7:16 says that God shut the door of the ark. God shut the door of the ark from the outside, typifying our safety within the ark. As long as we remain safely within the church, the ark of God, we will be protected and preserved all the way to heaven. Number five, the flood prevailed more and more upon the earth until all flesh perished. This gigantic deluge of the flood symbolizes God's judgment upon sin. God is the judge of the whole world, and he will not tolerate sin against him without punishment. The unrighteous will be punished, either in this life or in the next life. The story of Noah teaches us that God punishes sin. God is just, and his wrath will be experienced by everyone who does not trust totally and completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ark of safety for all who repent from their sins and put their trust and hope in Christ. Without him, we will perish. Number six, the flood story helps us understand the pitfalls of the popular phrase sola fide, by faith alone. Salvation is certainly by faith alone in the sense that God did the whole work of salvation upon the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the receiving and the working out of that salvation is not sola fide, but a cooperative partnership between God and man. James chapter 2 says, Even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. You see, therefore, that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Dead faith is a cognitive concept. It is belief without action. If Noah had not acted on what God told him and disobeyed God's instructions, he would have died. Therefore, our obedience to God is evidence that we love him, have put true faith in him, and that his salvation is being worked out through us. Now look at verse 8. But God remembered Noah. Noah and his family were in the ark for over a year, actually 377 days. Talk about cabin fever. That's a long time to be cooped up with thousands of animals. We can only imagine the smells and sounds and inconvenience and hard work of caring for all those creatures day after day. But God remembered Noah. While the whole earth is covered with water, the sunlight is blotted out, it is stormy and windy and everyone is drowned, yet the sunshine of God's love breaks through. God remembers those who are faithful to him. Noah was righteous. He obeyed God. He despised the world around him and he walked faithfully with God. Therefore, God remembered him. The comforting lesson here is that in the widest sweep of the most stormy judgments, there is a believing remnant who will be kept safely upon the rock of Christ. The winds and the waves will come. The storms of judgment will fall. But those who trust God and fear his name and keep his commandments will not be forgotten. They will remain safe 
They will be kept by God, surrounded by his presence. Remember the words of Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here are some questions we need to ask ourselves as we seek to obey this wonderful teaching of Genesis chapter 6. Do I seek to emulate the character lessons Noah displays? How is my daily walk with God? Am I standing firm against the seductions and deceptions of this world? Do I obey God despite ridicule and opposition? Am I patiently persevering in following the Lord? Am I safely within the ark of the true church and part of the faithful remnant? Am I seeking to work out the salvation that God has graciously worked in me, evidencing my faith by my works? May the Lord bless you, dear listener, as you seek to walk with him as Noah did, with a righteous and blameless conduct in the midst of a perverse and evil generation. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G A U D E T E ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. You may donate online at our website. Your gift, large or small, is gratefully appreciated. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. 
He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint.